episode 70 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on March 5th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. Have you ever walked into a stronghold, looked around and thought, chairs, chairs everywhere? Well, that's about to change in Game Update 5.8. The Conquest revamp is here. I'll have the details for you just ahead. Why make your own content when others can do it for you? Brian and Chuck from Bad Feeling Podcast interviewed Keith Kanig. I'll tell you some of what Keith had to say without telling you everything Keith had to say. And finally this week, I'll continue my story project as I head to the capital of the Republic, the city planet of Coruscant. And with that, it is time to make the jump to Lightspeed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Welcome to episode 70 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for the Old Republic. Just a few things for you today. First up, delays, delays, delays. SWOTOR producer Keith Kanick updated the community with new release information for game updates 5.8 and 5.9. And it is not good news. Here's what he said. After reviewing our internal test results along with feedback we've received from players on our public public test server, we decided release 5.8 is not ready and needs a bit more time to make the necessary adjustments. The new targeted release date for 5.8 is now a week later. On Tuesday, March 20th, 2018, this additional time will help ensure we deliver a quality experience with Isaacs, the final boss encounter for Gods from the Machine. Also, while I have your attention, this means we will also move the release of Game Update 5.9 one additional week too. We were planning to release 5.9 on April 24th, but the new date will be Tuesday, May 1st, 2018. As you know, Game Update 5.8 includes the Conquest revamp, which is why the Conquest schedule only had events through March 6th. Because 5.8 is getting pushed out a week, Eric Musco announced that Revenge of the Revenites will now be the Conquest event for March 13th. And that's all of the announcements I have. Let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. Well, pull up a chair and get comfortable. That's assuming, of course, you haven't replaced all of your chairs with real decorations. You see, the Stronghold bonus is just one of many things that are changing with Conquest in Game Update 5.8. A new interface, new objectives, changes to make the leaderboards more competitive, and incent big guilds to take on big guilds and little guilds to take on little guilds all highlight what you can expect in the Conquest revamp. Let's start with the UI. According to Eric Musco, the entire Conquest UI has been reworked. You will notice that the top bar has been updated to separate your solo and guild conquests from each other. The solo tab will clearly list the current conquest objectives, and your progress towards your personal goal. The guild tab, called Guild Invasions, will show the planetary leaderboards and guild rewards along with two new things. A section which shows a contribution leaderboard within, within your guild, and a button, Current Conquerors, which is a list of what planets are being conquered by what guild. 
Unfortunately, Eric didn't have any screenshots of the UI changes, so we don't know what things will look like. That said, the activities window was changed in Game Update 5.6, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction they're headed with Conquest. Based on Eric's description, it sounds like it will be easier to navigate and keep track of where things stand on both an individual and guild basis. There are a lot of changes to Conquest objectives, including completing objectives will now award credits, experience points, and command experience in addition to their Conquest points. Conquest point values for all objectives have been rebalanced across the board. In addition to one-time and repeatable, there are now also daily objectives. Some current objectives will change type with 5.8. The invasion bonus for Conquest objectives has been removed. The stronghold bonus still applies, but has been changed. Each owned stronghold counts for a 25% bonus, up to a max of 150%. Sorry to all you stronghold full of chairs owners out there. Weekly conquests are no longer on a set schedule and will be randomly selected each week. The exception to this rule is that conquests that coincide with recurring events will still be on a set schedule, such as degree event. And of course, that last change there is so that guilds can't plan ahead of time and know when a big crew skills conquest is coming their way so they can gather up all their resources. Now you just have to expect that that could happen each and every week unless there's an event happening. So you'll have to just sort of make sure you've got all of your resources at the ready every week. My favorite change in all of this has to be the stronghold bonus. Yes, we will still get the 150% bonus, but it will now be based on the number of strongholds that we own and not the number of hooks that we fill. As Eric later explained, six empty strongholds does mean 150% bonus. He also went on to clarify what exactly it means to own a stronghold. He said, here is how it's going to work. Duplicates do count towards your bonus. If you have three Coruscant strongholds, all three count towards the cap. Reminder that this is only possible following United Forces. The way the bonus is calculated is each stronghold is worth up to 25% based on the amount of rooms that are unlocked. I will use Umbara as an example. Since the Umbara stronghold is three rooms, base unlock plus two expansions, each of those is worth roughly 8%. Simply divide the number of rooms by 25% to get an idea of what each room's value is. I spent a lot of time this weekend taking a look at strongholds, trying to make sure I was still going to get the full bonus, which was a no-brainer. And I also wanted to see if I could figure out the cheapest route to get the bonus, assuming that you're, say, a new player and don't have any strongholds. In the end, I halted that quest because I didn't have enough fingers and toes to do the calculations, and I also like to do my math using crayons. At a glance, I'd say fully unlock Coruscant, Dromenkas, Manan, and Umbara. That gets you to 100%, and I'm pretty sure at about 13 million credits, that's probably the cheapest way to get to 100%. For the other 50%, you'll need to unlock one-third of each of the remaining three strongholds, Yavin 4, Tatooine, and Nar Shaddaa, or 50% of two of them. Again, math using crayons. Moving on, the invasion bonus for attacking specific planets is gone. However, there are still incentives for guilds to want to conquer certain planets each week. As Eric explained, a big change is that now every planet falls into one of three designated invasion targets. These targets differ by the minimum conquest points threshold 
that we call planetary yields. These thresholds determine the minimum points a guild has to earn to receive those conquest rewards. The higher the yield, the harder it is for the guild to receive the reward, but also means a better reward. We made this change to encourage more leaderboard competition among, among similarly sized guilds, smaller guilds going after smaller yields, etc. Note that this is not a restriction, just a recommendation. If a larger guild wants to go for lesser rewards in a smaller yield, they can, and the same is true of a smaller guild trying to go for the highest yield. Additionally, Eric also said that we have untied the guild rewards from the Conquest leaderboards with the exception of the guild in first place as they will still receive the Conqueror title and planetary bonuses. Separating the guild rewards from the leaderboards is a fantastic change. This means that any guild participating in Conquest can earn these rewards as long as they meet a planet's Conquest point threshold. For example, let's say a planet requires a minimum of 100 conquest points to earn the rewards for that week. The top 10 guilds all achieve 500 points for that week. Guild 11 only gets 100 points and is off the leaderboard. Guild 11 will still get the guild rewards because they met the planet's minimum point threshold for that week. The planetary yields is another positive change as big guilds will want to chase the big rewards, while the smaller guilds will want to chase the smaller rewards. This won't happen every week as the guild that tops the leaderboard still gets the title in planetary bonuses. Expect big guilds to attempt to secure these for their new members from time to time. Overall, though, bigger guilds will likely go after the larger rewards, and if it looks like bigger guilds are chasing the title and not the rewards as an issue... They can always look at randomizing the planetary yields. One week, Alderaan is a large yield planet, and the next time, it's a small yield planet. Now, if you complete your personal conquest for the week, you'll get access to a new rewards vendor. Eric provided some details on that as well. The vendor is on the fleet, but they will not actually appear for your character until you have completed your personal conquest for the week. Once you can see the vendor, they sell both Stronghold Decorations and the Commander's Compendium. The Compendium sells for 4.25 million credits and three Dark Projects each. A few notes on the Compendium. It cannot be used on temporary companions. Sorry, Darth Mar. It cannot be used on companions at rank 50. It must be used outside of a phased area, such as a Flashpoint. That's a steep price for a consumable item, so don't expect to go crazy on leveling up all your companions. That said, if you're looking to make some credits rather than spend them, now is a good time to start selling dark projects. Conquest needed an overhaul, and it's getting just that. Better rewards, more parity on the leaderboards, and incentives for all players in all guilds to participate make for a nice set of changes. The only casualties here are the millions of chairs that will soon litter planetary orbits as garbage scows across the galaxy dump this unwanted scrap into the cold, dead vacuum of space. Conquest changes were just one of several topics that Brian and Chuck discussed with Keith Koenig and Eric Musco on episode 190 of the Bad Feeling podcast. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to it, you should make a point to do so. They interviewed Keith Koenig and talked with him on a variety of topics. I'm not going to get into everything here, but I did want to hit on a couple of things that Keith mentioned. 
First, Keith stated that Anthem is not stealing resources from SWOTOR, and SWOTOR is not stealing resources from Anthem. Take that for what it's worth, but credit Keith for not dodging the question. Now, last week I mentioned that BioWare is struggling to figure out what is the right release cadence for their content. Give us smaller but more regular updates, even if it means one operation boss every couple of months, versus a larger, more complete update, you know, something that has a full operation. Keith talked about that, and basically, they don't have a solution for that yet. Ideally, he'd like to see them figure out how to do both. As for what might be in those updates, Keith didn't offer specifics, but he mentioned things like more story, more Republic versus Empire, more operations, flashpoints, things for PvP, and quality of life. All of the things that they've sort of been trying to deliver over the last year. When asked specifically about a new operation, Keith said, we think operations are key to any multiplayer type of content. My takeaway is this. Are they going to give us a new operation at some point? The answer is yes. The question is whether they will do it like gods from the machine and trickle the bosses out, or will they deliver it all at once? And if they do deliver it all at once, when can they do it? And what can they give us while we wait? And that's what I think is undecided right now. And until that gets sorted out, we probably won't hear anything more. On the PvP front, Keith said they are looking at gearing options for PvP, meaning maybe the potential return for PvP-only gear. Again, nothing to announce here. And finally, as far as Galactic Command is concerned, Keith confirmed what I've believed for a while now, and that it is here to stay. And he views it as a supplemental way to get gear, not the primary. And I don't disagree with that, by the way. It was a good interview, and I encourage all of you to go out and listen to it and get the information straight from Keith. And as a follow-up to Keith's interview, I've got some miscellaneous news and notes for you. Keith took to the forums to answer some questions about account-wide, ignore, reporting exploiters and war zones, stronghold decorations, maintenance, and guild interface improvements, and here's what he said about each. Account-wide ignore feature in ignore list cap. I like the account-wide idea, and we'll look into the cap. We may find What we may find is we need to automatically clean up your list and remove those accounts which are no longer part of Tor, such as banned advertisers. Uh, the right-click report, report feature for exploiting slash hacking in war zones. Not sure why we don't have that in place. We'll ask the team to investigate. Stronghold decoration maintenance slash updates. He said we'll look into it. And then lastly, as on guild interface improvements, it's already on our list. I met with some players at our New York Cantina, and they followed up with a ton of ideas. We've had many discussions about guild management, along with, addi with additional ideas on guild engagement activities. It's not yet on the production schedule, but it's an excellent quality of life improvement where all guilds benefit. And lastly, Eric Musco provided no information on the fate of Theron Sean in 5.9 when he said... We won't really answer many Theron-related questions as to avoid any 5.9 spoilers. He did confirm that 5.9 will be the end of the Traitor storyline, which we already knew. And speaking of stories, I now want to continue updating you on my story project that I started a few episodes back. If you recall, I'm currently playing all eight classes and moving them through their class, companion, and planetary stories all at once. 
The goal is to find a playthrough that works chronologically. I'm not going for canon. So far, I've gotten through all of the starter planets, Tython, Ord Mantell, Korriban, and Hutta. I've also completed Droman Kass. Today, I'm going to talk about Coruscant. Before I begin, I want to warn you that I'm going to get into spoilers and plot points and play some clips. So if you haven't done all the class stories or other stories that are part of the 1 to 50 experience, you might want to bow out now. For everyone else, I want to start with a brief recap of the Republic side of the story. And just as a reminder, I'm going to refer to the characters as he or she based on the gender I chose for my characters. Just makes it easier to talk about them. There is absolutely nothing about the story that suggests you must choose a specific gender for a class, although there are certain story moments that you can only experience as male or female. So the story thus far for the Republic is this. The Jedi Knight, an aspiring Padawan, arrives on Tython to finish his trials. He is taken under the wing of venerable Jedi Master Orgus Din. His expert tutelage helps the Padawan save Calicori Village from the beastly flesh raiders and save the Jedi Order from a nefarious plot by former Jedi Bengal Moore. And for the Jedi Consular, a powerful Padawan comes to Tython where she studies under Jedi Master Yuan Par, a Twi'lek named Nalan Raylock has stolen the ancient teachings of Jedi Master Rajavari, and he plans to use his dark knowledge to protect Calicori Village. With the help of a Transdotian named Kaizen Fess, who is kind of an idiot, the Consular defeats Raylock and is made a knight. After her knighting, Yuan Par falls gravely ill and is sent to Coruscant in hopes that a cure can be found for her mysterious illness. Meanwhile, an Ord Mantell, a smuggler who is a hotshot pilot, arrives on Ord Mantell to pick up a shipment of blasters that need to be delivered. Because nothing is ever easy, the smuggler ends up having his ship and the blasters stolen by a rogue named Skavik. The smuggler does everything he can to track down Skavik and get his ship back, but he's always one step behind. And finally, for the Republic trooper, a young sergeant becomes the latest member of Havoc Squad, the Republic's most decorated and elite special forces unit. Before the ink can dry on his sexy Havoc Squad tattoo, the other members of the squad defect to the Empire, shunning the Republic they swore to defend. The trooper is promoted to the leader of Havoc Squad, and its first new member is newly demoted Sergeant Eric Jordan, who until this debacle was the trooper's superior officer. And that's the story thus far. The adventure is just beginning, and all roads now lead to the capital of the Republic, the city planet known as Coruscant. The recommended play order for Coruscant is Jedi Knight, Smuggler, Jedi Consular, and Republic Trooper. That's the order I went with, and I thought it worked pretty well. Keep in mind, though, the four stories on Coruscant are very disparate. There is no overlap whatsoever, so the order you play them doesn't matter all that much. That said, here's what I like about the recommended order. I like the Jedi Knight to go before the Jedi Consular, simply because at the end of the Consular story, she meets members of the Jedi Council, Council, 
And missing from this meeting are Orgus Din and Bella Kiwix. In the night story, they are on Coruscant, but leave early on to go to other places. I like the trooper last because all of the stories end in the works, and there is a heavy Imperial presence there. The trooper goes in and disrupts Imperial operations and cripples the Empire's ability to aid the Republic defectors, which has grown beyond Havoc Squad at this point. I'd like to think that the trooper's actions effectively force the Empire out of that sector for good. As far as the smuggler story is concerned, other than going before the trooper, I don't think it matters much where he fits. As such, I didn't see a need to swap back and forth between classes as I progressed through each zone. It was fine just playing a class all the way through from start to finish before switching to the next one. Now, as for the stories themselves, despite being one of the best stories in the game, the Jedi Knight story on Coruscant is utterly mundane until you get to the end when this happens. My son's death will be avenged on the entire Republic, and you will bow down before I let you die. Your grudge is with me alone. There's no need to hurt others. As they die, you will suffer. And I want you to suffer before the end comes. Tell your pathetic masters that Darth Umbral has returned. This time, there will be no mercy. Darth Ongrel is a significant character in the Old Republic. He was a key player in the novel Deceived, written by Paul S. Kemp. He was also featured in a webcomic called The Threat of Peace, The Treaty of Coruscant. That comic first appeared on SWOTOR.com in 2009 and was later picked up by Dark Horse Comics. In addition to Darth Ongrel, the comic also featured Orgus Din and Lieutenant Tavis. As far as a villain goes, Darth Ongrel is right up there with Darth Malgus. He and Orgus Din have a history together, so he's a great adversary for the Jedi Knight story. Moving on to the Jedi Consular, the highlight for me from her story was when the Consular activated the Noeticon of Secrets. The other two Noeticons told me you might know something about a Jedi plague. If the Noeticon of Science and the Noeticon of Light had no answers, what makes you think we can help? They're neither doctors nor healers. Patience, Bastila. What she means, Jedi, is that for you to consult us, this illness must be remarkable indeed. Yes, I'm sorry. Tell us what you know about this illness and we will see what we can find. Seeing Bastila Shan was just a great moment and quite unexpected. She's just a huge character in the lore of the Old Republic, and it was great to see her make her way into the Jedi Consular's story. For the Republic Trooper, my favorite moment on Coruscant was meeting Sergeant Ava Jaxo for the first time. Wow, you're the new Havoc CEO. Must be my lucky day. I'm Jaxo. It's a real pleasure to meet you. Working with a beautiful woman on a dangerous mission? I'd say it's my lucky day. You want to focus, sir? We've got a job to do here, remember? Nothing says your boss can't have a little fun, Sergeant. Let's get those op details out of the way. She is one of my favorite characters, although I think her story plays out better if you're a male trooper. To me, she is a companion-quality character, and in fact, the first time I played a trooper, I thought for sure she was going to become a companion. I'll have more to say about her as the trooper story progresses. Wrapping up with the smuggler, there are a number of great moments, but I'd like to draw your attention to this interaction between Skavik and Imperial Commander Kastroff down in the works. Marusta Van Ruby. It's even more exquisite than I imagined. This will be the perfect centerpiece for my gift to the Grand Morph. 
sure to earn you a nice, fat promotion. Maybe the Grand Moff will finally let you go home to Droman Kaas. Watch your turn, Skalak. My agent is standing by at the spaceport, ready to deliver the item. You have someone ready to receive it? There's a twitchy little starship merchant named Fabazan in my docking bay. He'll accept my payment. Lieutenant, transmit the signal. I don't know what you want with that grotesque trophy, Skalak, but it's all yours now. Need any other priceless relics, Commander? Just let me know. I never realized this before, but that grotesque trophy that Commander Kastroff refers to is the head of Darth Bandon. I mention this because that relic will make its way into another class story and is instrumental in establishing the chronological order for class stories when we get to Alderaan. So that's it for the class stories on Coruscant. There's no strong order of play here, but if you go with Knight, Smuggler, Consular, and Trooper, you can feel confident that you're not destroying the space-time continuum. A few other things of note on Coruscant. First, you absolutely have to do the Black Bisector quest. Normally, I do it on all my characters, but for the purposes of this exercise, I only did it on the Knight. But if you've never done it, you're doing yourself a disservice. The power darkness is obsolete. The conduits are fully functional, and I have witnessed through our monitors. Also, you destroyed many enemy droid machines, so well done. Droid, your bizarre praise makes it all worthwhile. Please remember, Gree technology is exclusive to the Enclave. Do not attempt to duplicate, or you will be absorbed into the Great Pentacaron. And then there's a mission involving another of my favorite characters, the quirky scientist Fez Burba. Jedi. Thank you for coming over. I am Fez Burba, scientist notary of the Republic and planetary consult to the Galactic Senate. My current project could alter history. If my theory proves correct, I will be the most famous scientist who ever lived. Consider this. We all know the Imperial bombardment of Coruscant wreaked havoc on the infrastructure. But what if it also damaged the planet's very core? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I assure you, it's not impossible. The bombardment of Lexus 9 created a rift beneath the surface that caused unprecedented cataclysms. Everyone died. It is crucial that I get seismic readings from the lower levels, specifically from the works sector. In the spirit of scientific inquiry, and on behalf of the safety of the Republic, I need you to perform this critical mission. Prove my theory correct, and the Senate will grant me a substantial endowment for further research. I will give you a generous reward as compensation. All that's required is that you take the Burba Seismic Activity Reader, my invention of course, and use it in the works. The reader is both accurate and user-friendly. The challenge will be in the journey, not in the science. We'll see Fez again on Tatooine, and his name and inventions pop up all over the place. Ever wonder why those HK-51 parts are so hard to find? Check out the name of the device you use to find them, and you'll know why. And lastly, there is Nick Delarue. He's a Nautilin who speaks basic and has one of the most unique voices in the game. I understand things are difficult, but getting excited won't help. Excited? This isn't some minor inconvenience. The Republic considers us squatters and wants us out. The Migrant Merchants Guild claims to protect us, but all they do is exploit us. Now the Guild has kidnapped my mate Rhea and put her to work as an entertainer. Rhea! Forced to dance for the pleasure of scoundrels! You should have mentioned that earlier. Is kidnapping common? The guild does whatever it wishes. They are worse than huts. Given Republic Security's apathy, what is an honest merchant to do? A 
for goodness sake, Nick, give it a rest. There's no telling what humiliations and depravities Rhea's been forced to endure. My beloved is worth a great deal to me. Bring him back and I'll reward you handsomely. Maybe it's me, but this guy sounds like he's from New York. It's just an odd voice for not just an alien, but any character in this game. I like it, but it just stands out almost to the point of being a distraction. And speaking of distractions, I'm sure you've got more important things to do today. So that is going to wrap it up for now. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 70 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SotorPodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 71 on March 13th, 2018. Until then, remember the Sith Code. Cake is alive.